Here we are, another episode of Verbras. It's been a couple months, or maybe I think it was last month, right before the draft. We, uh, me and Trent, hopped on and talked a little Falcons uh, pre-draft. I'm Ron Brown. Along with me tonight, I got AD. You haven't seen him in a couple episodes, and then we got Trent, who's uh, who's always uh, on the show most of the time. How y'all fellas doing tonight? What's up, man? Doing so, good. Doing good. All right, so. Post-draft, of course, the draft was about three weeks ago. Falcons took a safety, Keanu Neal, in the first round. So we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But to start it off, we're going to talk about this new stadium, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. If you live in Atlanta, driving up uh, North Side Drive, or you're driving down MLK or any of the side streets by the Dome, you're seeing the new stadium being erected. You see the cranes all on the skyline. And there's been a lot of news with the new stadium. Most recently yesterday, Monday, May 16th, there was news about the concessions being uh, very inexpensive. We're going to let uh, AD start that segment off, and uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. Go ahead, AD. Yeah, well, like you said, there um, you know, there, you know, new stadium going on, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is basically, you know, I think Arthur Blank views it as really his gift to the city, so to speak. Um, so the big news coming out Monday was the new concession prices, and basically – the Atlanta Falcons are, you know, they're putting a lot of focus on customer experience, fan experience, and apparently one of the things that they found is the biggest complaint uh, from customers is concession prices. So, I mean, if you look at these prices, these are beyond throwbacks. So you're talking $2 hot dogs, $3 slices, slices of pizza, um, beer is $5. So um, they've gone out of their way to really try and listen to the fans and, you know, uh, get Basically, a family or anybody that's going down there, you talk about a family of four being able to go down there and eat, you know, in that $30, $40, $50 range when, um, as we all know, you can get down there and you get the wrong beer and it's 11 bucks. So uh, I got to give them a lot of credit, you know, from what I'm told. They're basically taking that part of the business and they're just going to take a loss on that every year. Arthur Blank said that it's um, something that's not an introductory price and not something that you're going to see change, you know, over the course of time. So I give them credit. Uh, for taking the step. A lot of people are excited about it. And it's, um, it's definitely a goodwill move that's gone over well so far. I mean, so from a fan perspective, Trent, if you go into a stadium and you see hot dogs or $2 or some chicken fingers or something that you may like for 3 or $4, what's your, what's your opinion? Or are you skeptical? Or would you eat it? That's the main question. <laughs> I definitely applied um, applied blank. You don't. I mean, you see, most of these owners are just so money hungry, and they're always trying to get an extra dollar. But you can see with this effort, he's actually looking out for his fans, like looking out for the fans. And of course, because you're already spending that that money on those pricey tickets, which I don't. I mean, this had nothing to do. We didn't. He didn't speak about that. Um, the ticket prices. But those will be pretty um, pretty expensive, so I think the ticket prices will offset the um, concession prices to an extent. But I think this is a is a very good look for Arthur Blank and the Falcons to um, to show that we care about our fans. And you know the other thing to keep in mind too is, and this gets lost on a lot of people. You think New Stadium Atlanta Falcons because they are putting the MLS team in there. That demographic from a ticket price standpoint is much lower, so. Uh, for those fans to be able to get tickets at this price, now you talk about an affordable sports experience, even though it's not, well, it's not American football, but, you know, it's uh, football um, <laughs> from a soccer standpoint. You know, now that 
and and that's I mean now you talk about and I haven't seen what the MLS ticket prices are going for, but those are going to be considerably lower. Um, that's going to definitely be a driver because you're going to get in a situation where you know you're probably talking about being able to go to an MLS game all in, um, taking parking out, but just tickets and food less than fifty dollars a person. Um, which will, you know, I, I think it's going to spur people who don't necessarily have an interest in going to to, to go down and check it out. So, yeah, and it's inter interesting you mentioned, uh, you know, Arthur Blank being involved with the fan experience and uh, Trent. And I, I don't know if you remember. I know AD probably remembers, and and some Falcons fans or Atlanta fans in Atlanta remember when Blank first bought the team. I think he slashed ticket prices a whole lot, and it made the game a lot more affordable which was like Mike Vick's second season, if I remember correctly. But I remember uh, vividly that he slashed those ticket prices, so that endeared him to fans a lot. You know, people have different opinions of him, but the fan experience has always been important to him and his team and, you know, the front office over the over the past 10 or so years. So. Yeah, that's when I, when I heard this, I thought that was kind of their way of doing the same thing. I do remember when they did that, and, you know, from my perspective, uh, being a little bit older, and, you know, the way we perceived that the Smith family ran the, the franchise for him to come in, because if I'm not mistaken, I think those were $10 upper-level tickets, which the league and the other owners weren't um, happy about, and I think that it went away fairly quickly just because it devalued the ticket across the board. But um, it was definitely something that was a splash move, and I think this is the same thing. But don't, don't get it twisted. Uh, those PSLs are not cheap, so uh, it's a great move, and I think, like I said, it's going to benefit not just from a football perspective, but anything they have in there. These prices are going to apply. So, you take your girl to go see Beyonce, $5 beer while she's going crazy in the, in the stands, um, soccer, you know, the whole deal, so Final Four, so it's going to make a big splash, especially when those bigger events start coming into town. Yeah, those Beyonce tickets are not cheap. I just bought two last week, and... Um... Yeah, I might need a payment plan to even pay my credit card company back because, uh, yeah, those things aren't cheap. But uh, <laughs> we'll see how that works out. I mean, I'm looking forward to possibly going to Mercedes-Benz Stadium in the future years and checking out not only Falcons but other events as well. We had actually a question from one of our loyal listeners um, and a Facebook follower of our Facebook group. Remember, check us out on Facebook, Bird Bros. Uh, searches, we're on there, always responding to questions. But Leonard Waters who's uh, checked out our podcast since since we started uh, last year, late last year, he asked a question on the Facebook page. So he's from Ohio, and his question is from a Falcons fan, not from Atlanta, not living in Atlanta. So his question, how happy are the people there with the new stadium? When they posted the new plans on Facebook, there seemed to be a lot of backlash saying the old stadium was fine. Were they being keyboard warriors or were they right? So uh, AD, what has been your uh, opinion on uh, how people have – taking the stadium, and I guess I'll let you go first, and then I'll chime in. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's different stages to it. I think when it was initially announced, people were good with it. Personal opinion, I don't think they did a good job of explaining to the general public how it was going to be funded. A lot of people thought that it was going to be taxpayer revenue, which, I mean, I won't get into all the, the details, but essentially it's, you know, it was any public money was coming from a hotel motel tax that the majority of people in Metro Atlanta are not even paying. I don't think they did a good job of emphasizing that point and that the bulk of the money was coming out of Arthur Blank's pocket um, in some form or facet. Um, so I think, you know, initially there was a little bit of backlash. Uh, people did have the question about, you know, what's wrong with the Georgia Dome. But the simple answer is that 
he doesn't own that stadium, so he can't maximize revenue, and, and it's pretty much that simple. Um, I give him, you know, Arthur Blank has never been afraid to spend money. How wisely that money's been spent um, is, uh, you know, probably a topic for another podcast. So, you know, if he's going to spend the money and he needs to generate more revenue, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I think the biggest backlash was when they released the PSL prices. And basically what happened was that those got leaked uh, um, before the Falcons and the uh, organization were able to get in front of it. And so you just had this weird period where the prices were, you know, pretty much out in the public. And the Falcons just weren't ahead of it. Um, as far as framing what that perception was on sports talk radio or some other things. So, um, you know, I think people get it in the long run. I think a lot of people realize they're probably not the demographic of people who are going to buy tickets over there. So the backlash hasn't been quote unquote um, as, you know, bad publicly because I think people just realize, hey, for, for what they're going to charge, I'm just not going to be able to pay that. Um, but I think, you know, overall, uh, PSL sales have been fairly, a little slower than they would like. Um, but I don't think it's not. I think it's to be expected, considering what the product on the field has been, and then the fact that um, this is the first time the city has ever had something like this. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with most most of your sentiments, and uh, also thinking back to when um, 2013, when the Falcons bought Friendship Baptist Church, you know, right there by the stadium. You know, you kind of think of that backlash when is when a new stadium is built, especially in an inner city area. Think about a lot of the community being uh, changed and taken away from. Uh, of course, the parking situation will change. Um, we'll see how that kind of turns out. But you know, I, I thought about that when you when the stadium was first announced. So from that perspective, there weren't a lot of people on board. But we got in the future to bring another Super Bowl to the, to uh, Atlanta. I think that was already in – well, not a Super Bowl, but I know the Final Fours and a couple of those were announced at the Peach Bowl. You got a lot of events. So from that perspective – I think that has people excited, but I think as time goes on, people will get more on board with it, um, and they'll see, hey, it's a, it's a great thing that'll be happening downtown, especially with Turner Field moving away, even though it's not in that area, but still. Yeah, well, and and in fairness, you know, the when the initial when the Georgia Zone was built, there were a lot of promises made about revitalizing the community, which if you live here, you realize that that hasn't happened. And, um, I'm not. I don't quite remember all the particulars around it, but they said things were going to be done that weren't done. Um, and I think you know when you talk about friendship being bought and those types of things, I think that was a lot of the backlash as well. Is that you know back in the '90s, a lot of these things were supposed to be put in place and they weren't. But um, I think Arthur um, or Mr. Blaine um, has done. You know, I think he's committed to doing those things, and I think they got a lot of people on board. There's a lot of things going on on that side of the the. Uh, of the uh, of Northside Drive that I think are going to be positive in the long run, uh, but it's going to take some time. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we'll see how that unfolds in the next year or so. Uh, this time next year, we'll probably be seeing a more complete stadium as it's still, you know, it's being, seeing some uh, things happening there. It looks more like a stadium than just, you know, large metal beams or whatnot. But uh, you know, yeah. we'll see how that progresses coming forward. So yeah. one more last off-the-field note. Uh, it's actually news from a former player, former linebacker and special teams player, Nate Stupar, who's now a saint, went down to New Orleans, uh, signed with them. Uh, but he he's had a comment uh, from NOLA.com where he said, quite frankly, that 
the Saints fans are more passionate down here. He said, I'll tell you what, the fan base is a lot more passionate down here when he was asked about the passion between the Falcons fans and the Saints fans. And, of course, everybody, uh, all Falcons fans were like, come on, this guy tripping. He don't play. He didn't get no PT. All this, the comments, of course, you know, ignite a, a firestorm on social media. What do you think about that trend? Was he just saying that just because, hey, I mean, I play for the Saints now. What am I supposed to say? Or is it, do you feel there's some truth in that? Do you think our fan base is, is not as passionate? Or, I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that? Honestly, I don't have an issue with it. I think there is some truth to it. I mean, me living in Charlotte, I deal with this also. But Atlanta and Charlotte, those are markets that are melting pots. You have a bunch of different people coming into the city that aren't actually from a Georgia or from a North Carolina. So when you're dealing, when you're dealing with those, you know, what I'm saying with a melting pot, a melting pot type of market, you're going to have some fair weather fans. So. For example, now that the Panthers are, um, of course, they're, they've been a very good team in recent years, you have those fans be, I mean, the, yeah, those Fairweather fans becoming diehard fans. But in the case of the Falcons, who we, we know the past couple of years we haven't, um, haven't been successful at all, it's going to show. I mean, it, it definitely shows in the Georgia Dome. When we have games, I guess, like, uh, for example, when we have games against the Panthers, you may hear more Lou than you hear of Matt Ryan or Julio. So it there is some truth to it. You look at the whole pumping crowd noise into the stadium. Like th there's truth to what Stupar is saying. I don't take it as a slight though. I mean, you're he, it is it, there is a big difference between um the like New Orleans of course with the whole I think Katrina played a big factor into that. So when New, when the city of New Orleans didn't have anything, they did have the Saints to to basically ride route around, and that and that team was very good. So I think that's the where the passion and just where it comes from in New Orleans. There might be some truth to that statement. I didn't think about that angle because remember, for the most part of their history, they were trash, wearing paper bags, fans wearing paper bags over their heads and whatnot. So yeah, I guess. You know, that 05 and on the team is really uh, rallied the city and the fans rallied around that team. When You know, when you get good, it's easy to be a fan. So yeah. <laughs> I wish A.V. was on to talk his trash. We might have to get a little segment from him. <laughs> but, but what do you think about those comments, A.D.? Was it was he on point or misguided? No, I mean, I, I, I think Trent hit it perfectly. It's, you're talking about Atlanta is a transient city, and – you know, like if you ask me, you want you know, if I I can go find you a lot of passionate Falcons fans, but it's not the same as being in New Orleans where that's essentially for a really long time that's all they had. You know, um, they didn't have any other you know professional sports franchises uh, for a long time, and um, so that's all they had. And you know, he made some you know tremendous very point about Katrina, uh, Katrina, and that being really a rallying point. Um, I mean, we we all you know. Even the league, you know, seems to always set us up with that Monday night game somewhere around the anniversary um, of Katrina. It, it seems damn near unfair. I hate, you know, that we play that game because they're so keyed up for that game. Um, so I, I don't disagree with what he's saying. Um, but at the same time, you know, we've been here when, you know, the Michael Big experience was going full tilt and that stadium was as loud as ever. So um, I don't know as fair weather fans, but the product on the field has not been something that's been, you know, really uh, conducive to, to getting that type of fans support. 
Also, a quick question for both of you all. Since, of course, I, I mean, I don't live in Atlanta or Georgia. Is Georgia considered a um, a college football state? So did, would that take away from, I guess, the Falcons to an extent? Yes, yes, and yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. High school and college more than. Yeah, more because. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you know, that's a good point, Ron. Um, Okay, so Friday night you got high school football. Saturday you have college football, and not just um, a Georgia or a Georgia Tech. Atlanta has probably one of the, is like probably one of the biggest alumni bases for SEC, ACC, and Big Ten um, in some form or facet. So you got people who are going to Knoxville, to Gainesville, to Athens, you know, uh, Columbia, Clemson, so on and so forth. So you got people who are spending all day. You know, doing that on a Saturday, and then you turn around, and you got a one o'clock game on a um, Sunday. So, I mean, UGA had ninety-three thousand people show up for a spring game, and they hadn't won anything, and I don't know how long. So, you, 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 that's a great point, Trent. It, it's very much a college football town, and you know, I'm just talking for myself. You know, if I spent all day Saturday watching college football, it's hard to want to get up and you know, by the I get up at like twelve fifty-five on Sunday. Just in time to you know get the TV on and be there for kickoff. So it, I think that definitely does play a role in it. Um, you know, and LSU is a big thing in New Orleans, of course, but you don't have that that structure where you've got a million Clemson fans, you got a million. Uh, I mean, you got Ohio State again, Big Ten, SEC, ACC. It's just such a, so many alumni, people who support those schools in Atlanta that it definitely plays a part. Yeah, yeah, that's how it is. Uh, in, this, in the deep south, that college football rules. And the SEC point, yeah, you can drive around and see all the flags and the license plates and all that good stuff. And college football is bigger than the NFL, which kind of, yeah, it takes away from the passion. And I tell that, the, the melting pot point is I tell that to everybody. We talk about all Atlanta sports teams. You got people who root for all the teams. So everything but the Atlanta team. So when I see... A Falcons fan die hard, or a Braves or Hawks fan die hard. I'm like salute because we don't have too many. All these transplants running around this city. But hey, hey, Ron, know. just just real quick, and this is something I didn't realize until I saw it. But the last time they were doing throwback helmets, and you know they changed the rule where they have to wear the same helmet throughout the course of the year. Part of that helmet design, there is red, of course, and then there's gold, and that was the Falcons trying to even back then trying to incorporate a UGA and the Georgia Tech aspect. So it, that's how dominant it is that even in the older, you know, with the older uniforms, when they were trying to design things, they were trying to cater it and pick up on that college football aspect with a professional team. Yeah, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. I didn't know about that gold part. Of course, I knew the red and black. And, of course, Rankin Smith is a UGA alum. So right. that kind of makes, a, you know, a lot of sense. I didn't know about that gold part. But, yeah, you got you to gotta play up the, the colleges around the uh, college influence around the city and the state. So let's keep it moving, fellas. Let's keep it moving. Let's, let's go to on the field, man. It's been a little bit of news uh, recently outside of the draft stuff. Uh, I read an article from Vaughn McClure, ESPN uh, beat writer for, for the Falcons, and it uh, talked about Rasheed Hegman moving from D-tackle to defensive end and probably Tyson Jackson uh, going from D-end to D-tackle. Uh, you know, Hagman was kind of highly regarded as a second-round pick couple years ago, and he really hasn't gotten, you know, we haven't seen everything we can see out of him, 
We know Brian Cox is is heavy on him all the time from seeing him on hard knocks and even on the sideline. But will this finally, you know, will we finally see Hegman be the big dominant pass rusher or at least a guy who can cause some havoc in the backfield by making this move? Will this be that, Trent? Honestly, I don't think so. I don't understand this move at all. I think that um, the issue with Hageman has been that he's just he's been out of shape. So you're going to take a, a player that's known for being out of shape and put him in a role that he needs to have more speed and needs to to come off that edge. I just don't see I don't see how he can be successful in this role. He's had a couple of um, I guess gleams of hope, but I, I don't see it coming from that DN position. I think we need to, obviously we didn't address this. We'll talk about this later in the show, but we didn't address this in the draft, which is why I feel like this move is even being made, but I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to work out for us. And, all, and I also want to know, I, I think they're looking at him also as more of a, as a run stopper, because that's what Tyson Jackson was in that same position. I think uh, he said he'll probably try out child at the position that Jackson is. So, you know, with the other guys, the Claibornes and the Grady Jill, Shelby, Vic Beasley, those are more of the pass rushers. But I guess he may have more opportunities, let's say, to rush the passer from the outside than playing inside. Uh, do you think it's a move that will warrant some some productivity, A.D.? You know, I was trying to – I didn't get it initially, and my only thought was that you know, when you even you look at the signings, um, and you were kind of headed this way, most of the guys they signed from a DN outside quote unquote pass rusher are more run stop type guys. You talk about Shelby, um, and then even Hageman. I don't think you know those don't those guys don't seem like the double digit sack people. So I think what they're trying to get to is to be so dominant within reason on first and second down that they put people in such bad positions on third down that they can get really excited with blitz, pack, blitz packages and how they use Beasley. Because the last time I heard, Beasley had actually gotten smaller. Um, so they're clearly trying to take snaps off of him as far as playing um, first and second down and really get exotic with using him. So I guess it's one of those things where there's different ways to get there, for lack of a better term. And it doesn't seem like they want to invest or they felt the need to invest in a star, quote-unquote, pass rusher that's, you know, like what JPP was or, you know, anything like that. So I think they're just trying to find a different way to get there. So will it work? I don't know, but I kind of see what they're trying to do. But it's definitely not something from a fan perspective where you look and say, okay, we got this problem solved. It's just going to have to be proven on the field. And then looking back, we haven't had fruitful options over the past years in the draft or in free agency trying to get a pass rusher. So maybe they think internally it's easier to to find that guy than to go outside of the team. So I mean, I, I you know it's still up in the air how that how that look, but maybe B Cox will get on him, and Hagman will finally be productive. Um, you know, with the high draft billing and all that. So. And he's got he's got some, you know, if you think about it, he I mean, he's obviously very tall, um, really long. So 
and I know this frustrates people because we, I mean, I remember we were all frustrated with the Mike Smith regime and talking about moving the quarterback off the spot and doing all these other different things. But, you know, J.J. Watt bats down a lot of passes. He gets a lot of sacks, but he bats down a lot of passes, which um, is effective in its own right. Uh, that's something that you may get out of Hagan. You know, he's got that ability to block kicks. So you talk about a first or a second and third down, even if he's not necessarily getting back there to the quarterback, if he gets those arms in the air, um, he's going to have the ability to knock down some passes. That being said, if he's not in shape, none of that's going to happen because you don't get your arms in the air when you're, you know, you're, you're checking for oxygen. So um, hopefully, you know, that's part of the whole deal that he's going to come in um, in a little better shape. I think he was in decent shape last year. Uh, they just struggled overall. So. Um, maybe again, that's another way they're trying to to get there instead of just you know trying to find that one guy that you hope uh, is a double digit sack type person. Right. Yeah. One of those uh, positions uh, we'll have to keep keep our eye on. Definitely the talent there. I think we've improved talent wise, uh, but still got to see the numbers because we were pretty terrible in sacks and you know whether you think sacks are overrated or. Uh, better to limit him to the short pass, like like Cadiz believes, who said that in our group text. But uh, you know, still gotta make some stops, limit the uh, passing attack. So let's look at uh quick position battles. Linebacker and DB are some positions where we don't know who will be starting. You know, of course that was addressed in the draft a little bit, and bringing back Sean Weatherspoon, a guy who we've uh, noticed has been a lot more vocal and he's. Had some media opportunities recently, which has, you know, been kind of surprising for a guy who we cut last year and then brought back. But looking at DB and linebacker, we got a lot of guys. Uh, Brooks Reed coming back. Uh, who else we got there? We got Beasley, who will be – I guess they're considering him a linebacker. Got some 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 names. Uh, Devondre Campbell, the, the draft pick. Who do you guys see kind of breaking ahead? Um, do you see Paul Warlow getting his spot back? What do you think about the linebacking situation? And then uh, I guess give me a little bit on the DBs as well, AD. Um, I think, you know, it, and this, I should have mentioned this when we were talking about defensive end. What you see is they're trying to build a lot of – I mean, obviously they're trying to build depth, depth. I mean, that's every NFL team. But I think it's one of those things where they think, you know, Seven to eight guys playing really hard for 20, 30 snaps a game is better than four guys having to play, try and play really hard for 40, 50 snaps a game. I think it's the same thing with the linebackers. Um, I think ultimately they think they're going to be in a lot of two linebacker sets, which doesn't really play to Paul Warlow's strength. Um, and that's not a knock on him. The guy is what he is and for an undrafted free agent. Um, I thought he played pretty well last year. Uh, but you can definitely tell that they're trying to get that speed back, you know, bringing Weatherspoon back, um, both of the linebackers that they drafted. So, um, you know, Weatherspoon is the interesting one. We, you know, we were talking about that through the group text that we got going. And, you know, initially I was just like, you know, this is a lot of press, a lot of things for a guy who just hasn't been healthy. And, you know, not for his own – Not, I don't think he's lazy or anything like that. It just hasn't worked out. But – they clearly are looking to him for some leadership, and they're clearly looking to to get something out of him. So that's one of those guys where, you know, Sean Witherspoon healthy for 20 or 30 uh, plays a game, 
Um, maybe you get something out of that, expecting him to be, uh, you know, a first down through third down type of linebacker. Yeah, yeah, you gotta gotta get some some guys making some plays. Um, because that's been kind of a. I mean, of course, the the defensive line hasn't been all that productive, but linebacker has been probably our worst. Would you, would you say our worst core uh, out of the defense, worst position group out of defense the past couple of years? I mean, you weren't not working with a whole lot, and then I mean, you got you signed a guy like Courtney Upshaw, touch that thing four, and then you know you got some some <laughs> new guys in there. <laughs> but uh, what do you think, Trent? You know, you signed another guy, Leroy Reynolds. Who's yeah, I'm glad you mentioned um, Courtney Upshaw because that's one guy that I, I'm I'm looking forward to um, seeing on the field this year. That is a guy that he has a lot of speed. He's one of those Bama guys, so you know, I mean, you know what you get with those guys. Also, I looked at um, I think there's been a lot of good talk from um, Brooks Reed. So, um, of course, last year he dealt with a lot of injuries. But hopefully this year he can get back on track because if he is, if we can get a, a 75% Brooks Reed, I think that will be beneficial for our defense. So I am looking um, looking forward to uh, having Brooks Reed and having um, Courtney Upshaw. I know one guy that um, in the defensive backfield that we were actually entertaining for a while was Leon Hall. I know, um, I think, just in, he had he had injury issues, and I just I guess the um, front office didn't want to sign off on that. But that was one guy that I wouldn't have minded. Like I mean, of course, it, our our secondary. You talking about our D, our linebackers being ridiculous. Our secondary was also terrible. And I mean, you know what we're getting out of guys like Robert Alford and Ricardo Allen, and um, and I can't what's I can't even think of that LSU cornerback from last year, Jalen Collins. Who's suspended for four games? Dang, oh, you can't cool. remember Jalen Collins. <laughs> it was that bad, but um, so I would have, I would have loved to see what Leon Hall could do for us. I mean, he would have been better than what we have, but that's still the um, the position or the um, yeah, that's the position I'm worried about. I'm worried about the secondary. You got Antonio Cromartie out there tweeting to the Panthers. He said, "I want to be a Panther." So. He's out there on the um, Vince Young. Give me a shot, tweeting, making tweets and stuff. So that guy's out there, and you know, we know that guy's situation. He uh, he need to keep getting them checks. Oh, so he got miles to feed. Plenty. Wow. I got a family to feed. So you know, and not <laughs> So yeah, you know, there are options out there that that have to be at least some some camp bodies, some guys that can come in and compete. Uh, maybe some veteran presence because I think we all look at at Robert Offert as probably a, a third down type corner instead of a he's not a outside guy. We saw plenty of lapses uh, last season. Well, and the problem is it's really you know unfortunately you know Jalen Collins isn't going to be there because if he was you would you know now performance on the field. Uh, is one thing, but he's literally not going to be there for the first quarter of the season. So that would have been a guy you would have said, okay, can he make the leap and be that outside guy opposite of Trufant? But he's not even going to be there. So you start looking at the depth chart, and there's nobody else there, you know, especially that has any type of real experience. So, um, I mean, 
I, we are, we don't have the medical records of why they didn't sign Leon Hall, and that is what it is. But you know, to your point, Ron, you got to think they got to bring somebody else in just from a depth standpoint with experience. Because right now, I mean, it's literally a true front and offer, and that's what you got. And you you pretty much know you're going to be starting a rookie at strong safety, which is a whole different you know conversation. So, and it's I guess it's a conversation we can segue right into and talk about the draft. Um, you know. Me and Trent made our predictions right before the draft. None of them were right. I predicted uh, we go with with uh, Leonard Floyd from UGA, and, and Trent said Robin Kim Diche, who who actually you know surprisingly went in the first round at the end of the first round. But uh, we went we went DB, a guy who Dan Quinn recruited at University of Florida, so there was some familiarity there, and a guy who um, you know we kind of talked about the the money backer position, a guy uh, like a Dayon Buchanan who can play safety and a little bit of linebacker or just be a physical uh, hit, uh, hitter back there, which is something we need in our deep, uh, defensive backfield. So looking at that first-round pick and, and the draft overall, Trent, do you think the needs were addressed or did we leave some needs on the table? I don't think we addressed them. I mean, I think okay, going into the draft, Dimitrov was saying that he wanted – two or three starters, I want to say. I can't remember exactly the number he said he wanted, but we just looking at our draft board, the only starter I can see is, is Keanu Neal. I mean, it's tough just because I would have rathered us trade back. I mean, I, I think I mentioned that in the um, pre-draft episode, basically trade back to the end of that um, first round and so you can grab another pick earlier in the draft rather than I think we – traded down later in the draft. We ended up trading down later in the draft. I would have rather us trade um, trade down. I like Keanu Neal, so I'm not going <laughs> to disgrace him or anything. And we probably wouldn't have been able to get him if we had traded um, if we had traded down. I think there was a, a lot of corners or a lot, you know, a lot of corners were picked earlier in the draft, so I don't think we would have um, traded down. I think that may have been a guy that Quinn, like he may have been on the top of Quinn's list. So that's why we grabbed him, but I don't, I'm, I'm not too happy. I'm not too sold on our draft our draft board. Yeah, I mean, then what? Well, I mean, you got Deion Jones, the linebacker from LSU, who a lot of speed. Devondre Campbell, who I mentioned earlier, and then third round, we gave Matt Ryan another weapon, Austin Hooper, another Stanford tight end, along with Devon Lolo, another weapon possibly. He'll probably definitely get thrown into to the fire um, this upcoming season. Do you think we address some needs? I mean, we got a tackle in the sixth round, which is probably more depth than anything. I mean, I don't like the draft grades, doing draft grades, because it's kind of hard to, you know, you don't know until you get on the field. But from a need perspective or filling in some holes, do you think they did that, A.D.? I think, you know, um, I remember having a long back and forth with Candace about this, about who was actually in charge of um, the front office, essentially, who's making the call here. And, you know, we argued back and forth about Dimitrov versus Pioli versus DQ. This is clearly DQ making these calls. You know, you can tell me whatever you want to tell me, but that's, and Candace said that a long time ago. So I look at it this way. Are the names splashy and anything that, you say, oh, that's a, you know, that's a, a great pick because I'm familiar with that player. No, but if you talk about filling needs, 
these guys feel the needs of the vision of what Dan Quinn wants that team to be. Now, will that work? I don't know. Keanu O'Neill is clearly, I don't even want to, you know, compare him um, to 31 from Seattle, but he clearly thinks I need this type of person in my defense, and they went and got him. They need more speed in the linebacker than when they did that. Um, they already invested a lot of money um, in Julio, but they know they needed another um, another uh, receiving option. Um, so they went and got uh, Hoover from Stanford. And you start going down the list with Campbell and so on and so forth. So I think, so the, que is, the question is not that they, they address the needs that they thought they have. The question is, will they work? And we just don't know the answer to that. So if nothing else, I feel like they at least had a, a system and they knew what they wanted to do. It's just going to come down to did they do the right thing. And if, at least it wasn't like we're just going to go take these guys because they're the best players on the board. I think they took what they felt fit their system. Do you feel um, outside of Neil, any of those guys are starters? Cooper, definitely. Now, that, that's a great point because I think tight end, definitely. Um, I think Jones is probably, just because he's a second-round pick, he's going to have to play. And you go Campbell, Schweitzer, and Fuller, I say no on all of those. Which, if now, if you're grading it based off of that, that's only three starters. And if I remember correctly, I thought Arthur Blank said he wanted to get four out of the, the um, out of this draft, and that, that doesn't seem like four right now. You got to look at projection because, obviously, you know, they're projecting those guys to be starters down the road. Neil and Hooper will probably start this season, you know, granted. They, Over Tammy? What were you saying? Over, over Tammy? Possibly. I mean, third-round pick. Who knows? I mean, you got to – most of those guys, if they're ready, go throw them in the fire. I mean, Tammy was okay, but I'm not saying – you thinking, you know, we're okay at that position? I don't think we're okay at that position, but I do think Tammy was – she was probably our second most productive receiver on the, um, the roster, and he's very sure-handed, I think. You need that type of guy on your um, like he's not your athletic tight end, of course. He's not your he's not Hooper, but he is that sure-handed tight end. And for the the Deion Jones guy, I don't see him coming over, um, stepping over like a Philip Wheeler or Courtney Upshaw. I mean, so I don't know. I mean, I mean, I project. With, I, I think, of course, Hooper is probably already better than <laughs> Tua Lolo is. So. Oh, of course. <laughs> you already you putting him on the field already as the number two wire. I mean, number two tight end. So just looking at it from that perspective, I mean, I think he'll he'll be on the field soon. I think by the middle of the season we may see him as a starter, depending on how Tammy does and just how everything else unfolds. Was there anybody uh, that maybe was still available on the on the draft board that you thought we probably should have picked up? You know, it's interesting. I know a lot of people talked about Shaq Lawson from uh, Clemson, and then, you know, you see he's already having shoulder surgery. Could you imagine if they had drafted another dude from Clemson who needed shoulder surgery? <laughs> Place would have lost it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm giving them a, a tentative benefit of the doubt. I don't, I mean, the reality is that there's always going to be somebody, some name that you wish would have been there. Um, I know we are, we talked a lot about Kendichi, and I, I would have been fine with that, except that he's from Atlanta, which is a whole different. You know, I, I just think that's a bad move giving him a paycheck that size. 
um, being from here. So I, I didn't have anybody. I was just like, damn, we really, you know, just screwed the pooch on that one. But, um, you know, it, uh, the Shaq Lawson, when I saw he was having shoulder surgery, I was like, eh. I mean, every radio station, sports radio talk station in this city would have melted down if that had happened. So um, maybe they know a little bit more than we give them credit for sometimes. Yeah, I can't be mad because we did address probably one of our biggest needs, which was the safety. But, of course, with just those linebackers, you had, like, Ragland out there. You had Miles Jack. I would have loved to see um, one of those guys. And I think they actually went late anyway. So I think you could have traded down and bought yourself another uh, draft pick. So that's the only thing, but I can't be mad. I'm not, I'm not mad at the Keanu Neal pick. And but, I, you you got to think that Neil, we really didn't talk about him much because we were talking about some other safeties and his name really didn't come up. So, and a lot of team, I mean, a lot of reviews and um talk about that pick was they were surprised that he went there. Um, so that was obviously the guy they had targeted for a while if he wasn't really projected to be in that area from uh, from too too many other teams. Yeah, and there was a lot of, um, like I said, there was a lot of DBs that were picked early. I, I don't think anybody saw that. Like, I think the, um, of course, everybody was thinking that the quarterbacks were going to go off the board. Like, it was going to be a number of quarterbacks in that first round. But obviously, it was the, the DBs that were, um, that were valued. So, I mean, I understand making that pick because, of course, if that is your guy, he won't be there um, for much longer. So, you had to make that pick. Everybody thought Eli <laughs> Apple. Our buddy Eli Apple, I mean, he went, he wound up going top ten. So, you know, it, it just seems like they got to where they, it wasn't what they were looking for, just wasn't there, and they went with the guy that they, you know, pretty much fell in love with. You, I mean, if I'm looking at the back end of this thing. You're talking, so I think Keanu Neal, Ryan Kelly, a center, not a position in the Shaq Lawson. You know, there was probably some injury stuff there. Darren Lee, um, which you could make a case for. Um, then the stars getting into, you know, you got three straight wide receivers, a cornerback, cornerback, quarterback, defensive tackle, offensive guard. So if you look at it, you know, those weren't positions that we really, those weren't positions you were going to um, invest in when I just ran down. Again, defensive end with Shaq Lawson is, you know, if they knew he was going to need surgery, then you kind of know why they went that route. So if you look at what was going versus what they picked, it makes sense. Yeah, I think it yeah, definitely does. I mean, we'll see. But, but also, do you guys think from a from a wide receiver, a tight end, a weapon standpoint, I mean, that still needs to be addressed. Of course, we signed Muhammad Sanu. And, you know, Devin Hester's still up in the air. You got Justin Hardy coming back. You all know, think that still needs to be addressed because we don't really – we don't know much about anybody else outside of – um. Uh, Hardy is Nick Williams back? I haven't, I haven't even checked the roster too much. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think that I think that's the point about Hooper is that now you talk about two tight end sets with him and Tammy. Um, so now if you run that now, and that's you know he hadn't played yet, but so you can say Julio Sanu, Hardy, and then Tammy and Hooper. That gives you five because I don't I don't know. I mean, it's, it seems like they're still trying to see if Devin Hester is going to come around, but. Um, at his age and talking about a turf toe, that's a, not a good combination. So I think that's where the that's where you know the the extra tight watching the extra tight end, depending on tight end that early. 
uh, made a lot of sense. Yeah, and plus, I don't think with Shanahan's offense, you need a, just a multitude of different um, weapons. I mean, we saw that, I mean, of course, Roddy White had an issue with just being um, a primary blocker. So he's not going to ask um, for a lot of weapons. I don't think he, we need, he needs, uh, you know what I'm saying, a lot of weapons with this offense. So with that, I mean, just with that offense, I don't think we needed to um, go after another wide out. Yeah, that, that slot wide receiver may be shaky with Hardy. I mean, he had a, a more than a, a couple of drops last year, like uh, crucial drops in, um, within the season. I like Nick Williams. I'm, I might be the only one on the panel <laughs> that likes Nick Williams, but I, like, I feel like we are, um, we are set when it comes to the offenses out of the ball. No, I mean, I like, I like Nick Williams, too, and, and I'm reading up, and uh, Hester is still on the roster. I guess we just predicted him to be cut, so we thought he was already gone, but we got Hester, Weems, and uh, Devin Fuller, a seventh-round pick, who uh, is a return man. Did you just say Weems? Weems is still there. He's still a Falcon, Weems. I mean. <laughs> hanging on like his hairline, man. Hanging oh, on like <laughs> come on, Eric. Come on home, bro. Come on home, bro. But that's what I mean. I think we need to look at our special teams, though. I think that's um, a, something that maybe need to address more than our uh, like our offense. Yeah, Fuller. Uh, like I said, Fuller's a return man. Okay. Uh, Weems does provide the the insurance and the the value as a as a special teams maven, you know, making tackles and that type of thing. But you know, as he gets older. You know, it's the name of the game is find a guy who who's uh younger and cheaper who can do the same thing you can. So, of course, as we go as the summer progresses, you gotta look at uh Weems and Hester potentially being cut. So Fuller shows what he can do. Y'all got anything else y'all want to add before we uh, wrap the show up? Happy birthday, Matt Ryan! Apparently, uh, 31 years old today. So uh, shout him out, Matty Ice, with the 31st birthday today. You know, um, a lot still going on. Um, definitely looking forward to more shows coming up. You know, definitely um, I'm sure we'll get something together as we start heading to training camp and men camp and all those different things. But, um, I mean, I'm as positive as can be about the team. You know, definitely was disappointing the way they ended last year. But, um, you know, it's still it's year two, so we got to give them a little, bit of, a little bit of a benefit of a doubt and hopefully it starts coming together. No, I'm just re- looking forward to a, another – to season two of um... – of Dan Quinn and just looking for looking looking forward to the regime like a revamp season, ready for another Burry Bruss um, season. So we'll see what happens. I'm with you fellas as well, man. I'm looking forward to doing some new things with the show. Hopefully, uh, taking it quote unquote on the road, do something live, and just engaging with more people, more listeners. Um, shout out to all our everybody, all our supporters and, and people who follow us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook reaching out, uh, giving us questions, and even a Twitter user, his uh, Twitter name is DrummerBoy2012. He hit us up like, yo, where the show at for uh, the draft, man? It's been a minute. So appreciate him hitting us up. Um, You know, hey, the conversation is always ongoing. We're always talking about the Falcons. It may not be on the podcast, but the group texts are always firing off during our work days to talk about recent news and everything, so. We don't forget. It's just, you know, sync the schedules up. Always appreciate the fellas taking time out of their nights to to hop on here and talk about our favorite team. So uh, before we uh, end it up, man, let's just let you all know. You can follow us on Twitter at BirdBuzz. 
Shoot us an email, questions, comments, birdbrothers at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. You can listen on SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio. Check us out on iTunes. Comment, rate, review. And uh, we'll be back soon to talk more Falcons. Keep checking us out. Thanks for listening. Peace.